The following is a teaching message from the chapel in Tiatatu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz. But we finished last Sunday with a perfect picture. The man and his wife in the garden. A beautiful garden that God had planted and prepared for them to enjoy and to care for. And we're told that God saw, at the end of Genesis chapter 1, we're told that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Within the context of that timeline, within the context of that sixth day, uh, was the story that we then followed. And I want to particularly pick up a couple of sections of it. We're told that the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God planted a garden in east in Eden and there he put the man that he had formed. And it says the Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I want to particularly note that there were all kinds of trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And then as Genesis 2, verse 16, it continues, And the Lord God commanded, You are not, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And then the final verse of that chapter well, the second to last verse, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Keeping that background and these details in mind, we now turn to Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realised that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In this moment, everything changes. And I mean everything. We'll look closer at that next week. But moments earlier, Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. And now they are ashamed and fearful. And they're sewing fig leaves together. Lisa, you do sewing. Can you imagine sewing leaves together? How futile. I've held leaves. They, They just tear and I... I've done a little bit of sewing, enough to know that you can't, it's futile. They didn't need to be told that things had changed. They knew it. 
their eyes had been opened and they now knew good from evil and it wasn't good to know. Often as Christians we think that it's our job to tell people that they're sinners. Last Sunday a couple of references were made to Isaiah's vision. Isaiah in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then down in verse 5 he says, Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He didn't need God to say, you're a sinner. He just needed to see God. And when he saw God, he knew what he was. When you understand what righteousness is, then you understand what sin is. In Romans, Paul writes that when the Gentiles who do not have the law do the things, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness in their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. Adam and his wife didn't need to be told their condition of their hearts before God. They knew. They just had to be honest about it. Their eyes were opened and they felt shame. Up until this moment, as we've looked, all they had ever experienced up until this moment was good and very good. Next week we'll look further and see what has changed and and what would change and we will learn of God's response, his judgment and his justice and his grace. But for now let's focus on the actions of the man and his wife and what they tell us about the nature of sin. You'll remember that the man had been placed in a garden where there were all kinds of trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So many good things had God provided. But God said, when you go to the middle of the garden, you'll find two special trees. One offers life. At the end of chapter 3, we'll come to this verse that says that when uh, when the man, if the man and his wife were to reach out and take uh, their hands, reach out their hands and, and take from the tree of life and eat, they would live forever. The tree also features at the end of history. As we look through to the last couple of chapters in, in, the, uh, in the scriptures. In Revelation 21 we're told of the coming of a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And Revelation 22 opens with these words. That there is a river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the great street of that city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I'm kind of intrigued by that one. There's this, on both sides of the river there is this one tree. It doesn't say the trees of life, it says the tree of life is on both sides of the river. So I'm looking forward to figuring out how that works. But this tree that is here in the garden sustains life and has the power to restore life and health. However, also in the middle of the garden is this tree whose fruit, when eaten, 
will bring you knowledge of good and evil. And it will take life. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. And so the man's wife is wandering through the garden and as she comes to the middle of the garden, she hears the tempter speak, embodied as a snake. And the temptation was not, are you hungry? The temptation was, did God really say? The fruit was not the first temptation. The first temptation was to question what God had said. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Even that's a lie. And the woman knew it was a lie. It was a twisting of God's word and her her response was spot on. She said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did not say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Don't eat it. Don't even touch it. She knew what God had said. But here's the thing for so many of us today. Knowing what God had said is not enough. Because most of us, when we sin, it's not because we don't know what God has said. Having questioned, having attempted to twist what God had said, the serpent then questions God's integrity his character. And so the serpent responds to the woman, you will certainly, you will not certainly die. For God knows when you eat from it, the eye, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a half-truth, but a half-truth is still a lie. God did know that her eyes would be opened and that she would know good from evil, but he also knew that was not good. Knowing good and evil, that knowledge is not a good thing. And yet the serpent made it, serpent made it out to sound good. You know, we can know the word of God. But the problem comes when we start to question the integrity of God. Does God really want what's best for me? Does God really love me like he says he does? The subtle promise, if you eat this, you will know what God knows. You'll be able to decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong, and then you won't need God to tell you. Is that not the way we live? If I know what's right and wrong, I can decide for myself. But by now the woman is engaged in the conversation. More than words, now her thoughts, her heart and her mind are engaged in this conversation. And we're told that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, which all of the other trees were, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. All of the trees in the garden produced fruit that was good for food 
and pleasing to the eye. That really wasn't the temptation. It was the desire for knowledge, for wisdom. Life had been so good for the man and his wife. In fact, up until this moment, they had only ever known, only ever experienced, as I've said, good and very good. But now in this moment, they understand and they experience evil. And they experience its consequences. They knew they experienced what it was to rebel against God, to reject his authority. And they understood they experienced what it was to be separated from him. Jesus put it this way. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. Light exposes evil. And those who do evil things do not want their deeds to be exposed. And Adam and Eve, or Adam and his wife, she hasn't been named Eve at this stage, Adam and his wife feel literally exposed. Suddenly they knew, they experienced this fear of the light, they knew that what they had done would be exposed, that they would not be like God. God was, is, was and is the creator of all things. He is all-powerful, all-knowing. And the woman and the man, they were created in his image. No more, no less. They will never be like God. It's interesting to note there are some, there's a passage, I think it's in Isaiah, where Satan, it's, it's, it's understood by many to be Satan, says, I will lift myself up above the throne. He exalts himself, the very temptation that he fell to as an angel, the very temptation that he fell to is the very temptation that he offers. You will become like God. You'll be able to decide for yourself. And that's the danger in our society today. And the moment that they ate from the tree, they didn't die physically but something died inside. This life-giving connection to the source of life, this life-giving relationship to the Creator, they knew that what they had known moments before was gone. We were created to rule over the creation, but God is the one who is to rule over us. He is our King, our greatest priority, his kingdom and his righteousness, doing his will and revealing his nature. But in that moment, rather than allowing God to rule, the woman and then her husband took the fruit and ate. Exchanging obedience to the creator, who had said you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the fruit, fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and instead of listening to the creator, they listened to the created thing. Both the snake, which was part of the creation, and the devil who was in the snake, who was also a created being. Paul would later write, because you see, this story plays out every day. And Paul would later write in Romans 1.25 that they exchanged the truth of God of the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Not only did they listen to the serpent or the 
to Satan in the serpent, but they actually listened to their desires which God had given them. The woman had desired wisdom, but we're told in Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Not knowledge. Knowledge, connection, relationship, intimate knowledge. They had known God intimately. He had shaped their bodies with his hands. And he had breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. His spirit. They had known God like nobody else has ever known God since. Their desire for food, their desire for knowledge, their desire for wisdom, all these desires are good. They are God-given desires. But they are given to us to serve his purposes, not ours. And when we allow them to usurp, when we allow them to become the focus for us, when we allow them to dictate, when we allow them to speak into our lives, when we allow our desires to rule, then we find ourselves separated from the one who gives us life. In James 1, we're told when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. An evil desire is a godly desire that is no longer in submission to God. An evil desire is a godly, God-given desire that is no longer offered in submission to God. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to death. It was true in the garden, and it's true today. Why do so many good, godly men and women fall? It's not because they don't know what God has said, but they start listening to the desires that they have and they don't bring them captive. This is when Mike and I were talking before about taking captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When you allow the desires to speak and allow their voice to be the one that is heard, You see, the right use of knowledge in Second uh, Peter, he says, uh, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and so on and so on so that you will not be ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The right use of knowledge is built on a foundation of faith and good character. This was a precious verse to me in years gone by. Because I relied so much on my knowledge and my, my faith was limited by what I knew. I knew this much and God couldn't do anything more than what I knew. But when I allowed God to be the source of my faith and then character, so I trusted God. I not only trusted what he said, faith comes by hearing, but I trusted his character. 
Then I had a foundation on which to build my knowledge. And from that flows self-control and so on. The right use of knowledge is built on a foundation of faith and good character. But for now, for Adam and his wife, that foundation is gone. They have rejected faith. They have rejected their relationship with the creator of life. They have rejected God as their ultimate authority. And they have rejected the goodness of God. They have allowed themselves to question the very character of God. Does God really want what is best for us? You will not certainly die, for God knows. God knows this is going to be good for you. You're going to... This, no. God knows what this will do. And so everything changed, and this is, this is such a tragic story. Not only for its context, but for its overflow throughout human history. And it will get worse. Things will get much worse as we continue to see through the Genesis story. And I would have to say, without my brother to interrupt me, it's getting worse every day that I open the paper. It's getting worse. But we are not without hope. Because we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for since death came through one man. The resurrection of the dead also comes through one man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. You know, we, we sang some songs at the, uh, back in that worship time and we had words like um, majesty. So we're acknowledging the king. Since you laid down your life, the greatest sacrifice. That is nonsense if you don't understand Genesis 3. What is the point of the king laying down his life? And then I come to the altar and it says, forgiveness was poured with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. What nonsense if we ignore Genesis 3 and God, man's rejection of God's authority. And if we don't acknowledge that we ourselves walk in that same pathway and that same process and that same decision making that we so readily question what God has said and even when we know what God has said, what God has promised we so readily question whether God really has my best intent and when I analyse everything that I do, every decision I make I realise more and more just how often God says I am your provider and I know that I live daily figuring out whether I'm going to make it whether I'm going to be able to provide for all my family needs there are so many things that I do in a day to day and I'm going man I'm just continually questioning God's promises and God's character he loves, he says, all the pagans run after all these things and he says, don't you know that your Father in heaven loves you and he wants to give you every good thing. So seek him first. John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God 
and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so this morning we come, and we finish our time this morning, as we come to a communion table. Again, absolute nonsense, if you don't understand what it means. The wafer signifying the broken body of Christ. Why would the word allow his body to be broken? The fruit of the vine, the juice, his blood poured out. Why would the creator of the universe allow his body to be broken and his blood poured out? If there wasn't a problem to be addressed, and the problem is spelled out so clearly in the beginning of Genesis 3. And the response is spelled out so beautifully in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. And so now I invite you to come as the music plays. Come in remembrance and repentance and thankfulness and celebration because God has redeemed and restored. And no matter how often we forget that he is good at his word, no matter how often we reject the goodness of his character, He sent his one and only son to die that we might be restored into connection with him who is the giver and the source of our life. And so I invite you to come as we remember that Genesis 3 is not the end of the story. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message from the chapel in Teatitu. For more information about the chapel, please visit www.thechapel.org.nz or email info at thechapel.org.nz.